afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Hot Hacker podcast number 50-something. I'm not really sure which. Uh, Tom, why don't you pick a number higher than 50? Higher than 50? Yeah. 69. 69. That's funny because uh, uh, Scott Lyons picked uh, 066, so you're only three off. Cool. So episode number 69, um, start off with a little bit of news and some housekeeping news. Uh, not a whole lot other than uh, woke up this morning fighting a breach. It was a lot of fun. Um, next week, I go to Dallas to speak at Inotech 2021 <clears throat> and uh, still fighting some, some crazy COVID stuff. Um, so tonight we have Tom Ryan, a good friend of mine from way, way back in the day. Um, uh, and Tom, why don't you introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit about yourself and we'll go from there. So I'm Tom Ryan and in the cybersecurity space for a long time. Me and Mike went back. Uh, Mike loves, Mike loves goats is all I'm going to say. I'll leave it at that. Those of you in the know, know. Um, it's been a long journey. It's definitely a never ending learning journey, um, where we have our ups, downs, you know, times of hitting it awesome. Last time I got to see Mike in person, we were over at, uh, we were over at, last time I saw you was in Edinburgh. And then before that was at Westminster. So it's been good catching up. Good having you on Clubhouse too. Quiet, bro. See, that was a lot of fun. So the people who don't know the story about the goat, um, we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, Tom was on tour with me in UK, um, Hackers on Tour, which is a lot of fun. We had a couple stops, one in Westminster and then one at Napier uh, in Edinburgh, which is a lot of fun. Um, a lot of stories go with it, but uh, we'll save those for later. So, Tom, we met so many years ago. It's probably, what, 22, 23 years ago. Um, you were teaching ECSA class the first time that we actually hung out but we actually met um at, we went to defcon together we met at defcon hung mm -hmm. out went to dc303's party um and we talk a lot about culture and you know the the way that the industry's changed so much over the years um why don't you take us back to when you first got into cybersecurity and how you did it and kind of your journey from there all right so beginning of my story if you remember had a flashback of this while we we're in London. Um, I was working at Scholastic. You know, this is the dot com days that all decided to deface it. So when I first got into it, it was all about defacements because there weren't e commerce sites back then. You know, so it was a whole different ball game. And so going around defacing sites was the fun game. Um, that's kind of where I started off. We had two hits that year. <laughs> Yeah, so from those two hits, it was kind of interesting. Um, definitely made for a fun journey and fun learning experience. So I said, okay, so who are these hacker guys? So I said, you know what? Let me go hang out with these 2,600 guys because, you know, I heard about them. So I started hanging out with the 2,600 crew in New York City over at the Citibank building. Interesting journey there. And then they talked about DEF CON that year. So this was... Shit, I'm showing my age now. This was 90, yeah, this, this is 99. And then I ended up going to DEF CON that year. And then I met a lot of friends like Humperdinck and, you know, people like that. 
you know, in back, back in the Alexis Park days when, you know, it was cool because everybody just started for freaking Perseus and, um, what was his, yeah, Mark Macriette had, what was that freaking bone scan I had? Oh, EI. I yeah, yeah. It. Yeah, I was going to get it confused with FireEye, but it was EI. And he started using that and it's like, wow, this is cool. And then you start learning it and things like that. And all the old school guys were talking, then the loft guys, you know, Del Chai, who we see on Clubhouse a lot now, mm. you know, he comes in, you know, he was there. And then that the first hope in HTK, he started talking about, you know, the prox card stuff, which we all see everybody's still using today. And everyone's like, oh, that's cool. I'm like, dude, that shit's like 22 years old. And it's still vulnerable. And there's just so many things out there and it just makes for a fun journey. It was a, it was a lot of fun at uh, DEF CON. The one that we went to, I think it was at Rio maybe that we stayed at. Um, That's when we, we got banned. Got banned. And then we, uh, we got locked in our room at one point. We were locked out of the room at one point by Jennifer. <laughs> I talked to Jennifer and she's still a freaking crazy ass social engineer. Yeah, that was pretty funny. She actually locked us out of the room and wrote something on the windows with something. Um, so yeah, we that... did it. We did it. So it was me and Tom Brennan, and we put an anarchy symbol on the in the window. That faced the pool. When, yeah, and then when security started, they locked us out of the room. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. So I remember one time back when, when you went to Hope and uh, social engineered your way into Hope. In New York. Oh, that one. That one was good when I got banned. Yeah, that was great. Oh, yeah. That was uh, an interesting journey. I'm like, how do we get in? So the first thing we had to do is like fight. We had to swipe like five security shirts. And then from that, we had to give out the five security shirts. And then who was it that got it? Tom Brennan. Like, dude, I got something for you. So he got me a ball cap and a wig. And I was like, oh. so I had this long-haired wig and this ball cap. Nobody knew who I was. And, and Matt, it all started, we got banned because on IRC, something people were saying, some inappropriate things about people. I got paid a couple hundred bucks to pour a drink on Emmanuel's head. And yeah, it was a different, it was a different time back then. You know, you act kind of young and stupid. Damn, that was, yeah, I remember that. So then we got in and Emmanuel has a Q&A. And then I said, hey, remember this. And then I pulled off my hat and, and thing and he was calling security. And this was back when they were filming Maury still in the same building as Hope. Mm -hmm. So we had, uh, we swiped the radio. We got, I had my friends that had security shirts on help escort me out. You know, and it was uh, an interesting show. So with the radio, we parked right in the front of the building behind the NYPD van because Emmanuel got upset and called the cops. And we're sitting there and we're trolling them on the radio and they're looking all around for us, not seeing us sitting in the car right in front of them. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, I, I think you were texting me from Hope when that was going down. That's pretty funny. Um, so yeah, like we've had a lot a lot of uh, 
times together, like at different conferences or whatever. Um, I remember after my journey with, with eyesight and, uh, ended up at DEF CON and, and, you know, the, one of the goons from eyesight kind of cornered me, uh, that was pretty uncomfortable, but there's, there's so many stories from, you know, back then, um, you know, I, I don't know how much people know about, you know, IRC or, or, or 2600. Um, but that was our, that was our stomping grounds back in the day was, was the IRC channels. And, uh, you know, we met up with Hitman and, and Honeybee and all those mm -hmm. people, like it was a pretty small click, you know, Ralph Eshmandia, um, some of those guys. And of course, um, Brennan. Ralph, my partner in crime at teaching classes. Yeah. Those yeah. were the days I missed. Yeah, he's a uh, he, goat. Yeah. <laughs> so the goat. So I'll, I'll tell the story really quick. Um, the goat goes back to ECSA class. Um, I took a course that Tom was teaching because I got a day off and was able to grab a cert while doing it. So I went to the course and and looked at all the laptops. And there was a, a laptop per person plus Tom's laptop that he was teaching from. And uh, during one of the breaks, I went and busted into all of the student laptops and rooted them and was able to, you know, every time this, this one particular dude, he was so annoying. Um, he was there. I, I can't remember what company he was from, but he was really irritating. Oh, I remember, but I'm not bringing it up. Yeah. Probably not a good idea. Um, but it was so irritating and he would ask the dumbest questions like, you know, switches on Nmap or some dumb shit. And every time I did, I had, every time he did, I had this picture of a goat in a wedding veil on his laptop. And I would turn the speaker all the way up and pop that goat full screen on his laptop and then play the goat uh, making its noises. And he was like freaked out. I was like, what the fuck? Um, and then at the end of the class, we had two laptops left for students to take their exams on because I went into all the laptops and was uh, deleting shit out of the system 32 uh, directory. Um, pretty much wrecked it. We all took the test off of my laptop and um, Chris Campbell's laptop. Um, he works at Xerox now, uh, but it was a lot of fun. And th there was a, a projector and the projector went out and the guy that, uh, I guess he's like the maintenance guy would come in and every time he started fucking with the projector, I play the, the theme song from, um, uh, what's that TV show called? Um, Jeopardy. Yeah, Jeopardy. Uh -huh. That was a lot of fun. So tell us what you're doing now, Tom, in the industry. So I was a sellout. Okay. So when I had my business, I failed. I had two people say, tell me straight up, they're like, Tom, you had a great business idea, but the reason why you failed. I'm like, why? They said, you did, no, you did no sales, you did no marketing. So everybody says, you go to sales, you're a sellout. So I went to sales because I always had planned on building up my own business again. And, you know, learning from that, like all of us, we've all had a services business and that's what we've learned from, you know, it, mine was good. We did well, but then the first learning lesson, what happens when you lose your anchor customer, this anchor customer was bringing in seven figures a year. So it was a painful loss. And, you know, so then you start going, okay, what do I do next? So I said, all right, because I failed because of sales, I'm going into sales. And the geeks never want to be the direct salesperson at first. They always want to be the engineer. The first thing you learn is a sales engineer, you work the hardest and you get paid half what the salesperson does. Um, but you still have a passion for it. And 
my two coaches that basically said, you know, when they said that to me, I, I didn't understand it at first until you're actually going out. And what you're doing is one, you're learning how the businesses work, what happens when situations happen, but you're not learning, and you're basically learning from their failures and how you take them to the next step. That's kind of why I stayed into it. You know, I figured I'll do it for three years, but then you start seeing the checks and you're like, seven years later, I'm still doing this. Do I have a plan? Do it. And, you know, you always have a learning lesson in, in this world. Okay. Whether it's good or bad, everything is a learning lesson and it brings you to your next game up. You know, so I took that and I said, you know, I crushed it. And then in sales, the first thing you're going to do is when you're an overperformer, like most of us are, they change your quota. All right. And it goes up and up and up. And then that changes your perspective of everything that how you're still controlled. All right. And then it motivates you to want to go start something new, but also make it so it's fruitful for everybody. But the one thing I did get from it is like, you know, when we started, no, there was no real classes to teach you anything. It's like, here, go and learn. All right. And, and then, then when you're in the game for a while, you start to realize what would have been beneficial for me to learn? Because every cyber, every university is out there who can get you a cybersecurity job. Just give us $200,000. I'm like, okay. So I looked at it and I'm like, you know, how can I help these people that don't know? And what makes these professors know? Because I watch what the professors do. They'll go and they'll go to Black Hat, they'll go to SANS courses, they get funding for it. And then they just take the material from that and use that as their teaching stuff. But they're not learning. Okay, because the professors didn't take the time to learn. So I, I could be a bigot for it. But, you know, passion has always been with it started off as Fortify, then HP Fortify, then HPE Fortify, then MicroFocus Fortify, now CyberRes Fortify. But the funny part about it is it, it's constantly growing still. As much as people bash at the numbers behind that most people don't know, they're like, wow, I'm shocked that it's still at 13% growth and it's been out for, what, 2003, 2004? And just the power behind it. And I said, well, since I'm in sales, how can I help the students? So, you know, we spoke about this and it was me and one of my coworkers, Katie Crabtree at the time. And we're like, well, we do have this university program, but nobody pushes it. I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. So I took it and did a pilot program with it. With that pilot program, I proved that there's ROI in helping the students in the university. So you basically take the software, with that software, you give them the courseware. And then, wow, okay, now you can teach three different classes from that. You could teach secure coding. You could teach AppSec running in a security team. And then you could take that same data and teach the forensics team. And, and that's kind of where I went with it because, you know, at some point you get, you know, you'll, you'll make money, you're happy, but then you're not happy, but giving back always makes you happy. All right, because you hope it takes it to the next gen, especially when you see these job shortages now. And now it's become more of a strategy and a people problem. You know, what are you teaching them? 
And that's what I'm hoping to achieve going forward with whatever I do. And also a hiring problem. I mean, how many of us have been anti-cert? You took the ECSA and that was like that 2005, 2006. And it's like, yeah, this is useless, but I need it for HR. Right. Okay. And, And that's how we've all looked at certs. And that's kind of where it is. So yeah, it's a, from that taking the journey. Yeah, so certs are, are, are kind of a double-edged sword. I mean, really, it's an industry within itself. And I remember when I took the, I talk about it all the time, the, this challenge of SANS uh, certifications and passed them. And it was like, well, this is worth nothing. You know, it's just a it, 10,000 foot view. So there, there was one project that you were working on. I got a text. I think it was, I can't remember how many years ago, but I was sitting in my house in Texas and I get this thing on LinkedIn where this chick is trying to uh, befriend me on LinkedIn. Um, dreads in her hair, nose piercing, you know, worked for some, some high level people as an intelligence analyst. And uh, I immediately called you and I was like, what the fuck is this? And then you told me what was going on. T- tell us about Robin Sage. All right. So that was basically, so I, I would sit there. And it started December of 2009. And I know where you're going to go with it afterwards. So I'm just going to keep rolling. Started December of 2009. And I said, you know, this is so much wrong with this stuff. Because I remember MySpace and the stuff I used to find on MySpace. And now I'm going to bring it back to the 2600 date. Because it really started off at hot or not. So... All of us in the security space, we all have freaking egos. So all the 2,600 crew out in New York City, we said, you know, let's open up a hot or not account and see who gets the best. All right. And so we did. We had fun. I had fun winning for some reason. I don't know. I guess girls have bad taste or something. Um, Then from that, you know, was MySpace. Then from everything else. And then I started seeing Facebook. I'm like, there's just so much wrong with this. And I was like, yeah, I see the good, I see the bad, so on and so forth. So I created the persona Robin Sage for a reason. Everything had to be red flags to see how people do their due diligence on the way the people they choose to connect to or work with. I mean, it even said it in the title and the, the Twitter is still there. All right. And it wasn't just Twitter, it was Twitter, it was LinkedIn, it was Facebook. And now that it's just, you could take the same prod scenario and it's been run so many times. And Mike texts me, he's like, you see the latest one? He's like, they're still playing the same game freaking 10, 11 years later. Um, and, and people still fall for it. And it, it's funny because once I did the presentation, you know, everyone's like, well, your slides went wrong. I always tell people, remember one thing, doing a black hat talk, you're going to get a lot of attention before your talk, after your talk, and you're going to make all these new weird friends. All right. So that's how I always looked at it. And I was asked not to show everything. So I fumbled around, but you know, the people in the know got to see the full slide deck. I mean, I think I had like 15, 20. Yeah at Black Hat and the real slide deck was 120 mm. unfiltered. But that, that's kind of where it is. So, and the reason is it's sort of like a reputational risk management 
and, and that's what you have to focus on. I mean, nowadays it's gotten 10 times worse. You know, you, you just say the wrong things 10 years ago and your career is doomed right? because you didn't go and do purges on your social media accounts. And, and this is where life, life has become. And I've done numerous projects after this. I think the one that really got me going was uh, a couple of red team hacks, or a couple of red teams I did with Ryan. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I always looked at it as that one my failure because I didn't take into context what the target was and I used all the wrong scenarios. So. And that happens. I mean, you know, it, we have an interesting connection too. I, I know that you're on the board of Red Lion Security. Um, and then I just, I literally just had Scott on the show like a couple of days ago. Yeah. So How can you it, miss his dreads? I tell him he's got the same dreads as the, the blonde twin from the Matrix. <laughs> so we're actually thinking about uh, scheduling some kind of get together with all the OGs and the old guard um, sometime soon. I think it'd be pretty cool. Um, so yeah, with, with Robin Sage, um, I don't know how much of it you want to tell, but there's a lot of people who bit into it and a lot of people that high ranking people that probably should reevaluate their OPSEC. Um, and then there was even some from the military that, that hit on to Robin Sage and giving up too much data. But I think the, the real, the real value behind it was, you know, going back and teaching people, um, how to avoid situations like that. Cause you know, as guys and in, in, in the industry, there's not very, there wasn't back in that time, there weren't very many females in the industry. And so when you create a, a LinkedIn or a Facebook with, you know, a female that's a cyber analyst, um, a lot of the old school community went nuts and was like, I remember there's a lot of security researchers that were clicking on it and, and you know, trying to, you know, talk to her or whatever, mm -hmm. um, huge risk. So we both have backgrounds in the military as well. I don't know how much of that you want to go into, but um, not, you know, touching. I, not touching it. Okay. Um, I was a spook in, in uh, crypto tech and Tom was in the military at one point. Uh, so there's a lot of us in the industry that, um, that are from that, that school. Uh, and I believe Scott Frazier's on too. He's uh, recently separated from the military. So um, hats off to Scott. Uh, so, you know, the, the projects you did were pretty interesting, um, you know, and your background and, and all the things that, that you've done since then. Um, but tell me, how's Gesture? They're fucking wise ass. So every, my, Mike just loves to troll about that because all the internet trolls that are horrible at Intel would always say I was the Gesture for one simple reason. I started mine December, uh, yeah. I started mine and the jester started his, I believe it was a few days after. And everyone's like, come Ryan, let's be the jester. Like, dude, people have been using sock accounts since the beginning of time, before there was the internet. All right, so it does, that just tells me you're horrible at doing intelligence. You know, that's my two cents. I mean, you're gonna push this forever. I will, I will, absolutely. I actually brought it up on the show with, uh... With Scott Lyons, I think too. I heard uh, it. Yeah. 
I won't let that go. I thought that was pretty funny. And, you know, you and I know who, who the gesture is. Um, people in the audience probably don't. And, and I don't think it's a good thing to, to destroy the gesture's uh, cover. Um, but yeah, like we, that's the kind of stuff that went on back in the beginning of what, what is now cybersecurity. Um, when we started, there was no industry, really. It was, it was an idea. Um, and it just grew from there. Uh, what, what was really cool was looking at, and we talked about this in the last episode, um, thinking about the people who were in the industry back then and where they're at now and the different changes people, people have made. You know, when, when you look at, you know, Ralph Eshmedia starting out as a pen tester and then all of a sudden he's, you know, celebrity in, in Hollywood, you know, it's like, that's impressive, you know, but. Remember when it was there with Will Smith? Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I miss hanging around guys like that and, and you know, the, the beginning of the industry, because nowadays, uh, and I talk about this quite a bit, I get people to come up to me and say, hey, how do I get into cybersecurity? Or, hey, how do I become a pen tester? And there's so, so much, so many resources out there for people to, I mean, Google, you know, YouTube, there's so many resources for people to use. Back then, like, we didn't have m- many resources. We had online groups we had 2600 we had rc um i'm not sure how much 2600 was valuable to me back then but um you know there there were things that you could do to learn but it was more like tribal knowledge it wasn't something that we could go to school and get a master's degree in cybersecurity, um, which i find pretty funny actually um you started off writing exploits in pearl come on yeah exactly exactly so where do you see your, your career going from here? So that's a great question because, you know, I've always asked about sales and, you know, I had the privilege of working at an AI company, you know, and man, did I learn a lot there. Okay. And, and you, from, the, from that learning, it's like, where is it going? Okay. So I'm like, you get to learn how it works, but then it just gets your juices flowing. And then you're like, this is awesome. How do I defeat it now? Mm-hmm. All right. And then you start digging into it. Okay. So the way to defeat AI is to find out how to corrupt the ML because the ML is going to do whatever. Or you see, or you're, oh, dude, this is the best part about social engineering and fake badges at conferences. Mm-hmm. You just go up to the boots and start asking, because some of the people that work the boots are not the brightest. I remember I went to my competitor wearing a soccer jersey with the name on it, and they still walked me through all the demos and answered all my questions. Um, competitive intel is probably the new fun game, but also, you know, how, how do you break everything that's there? You know, everybody's relying on AI, XDR, everything. This mm. is the answer. No, because you leave your ML to offshore non-talented teams. And then they end up corrupting the model. And once they corrupt the model, then you're still going to get breached. Yeah. Okay. And then you're going to go, I spent millions of dollars for this. It didn't work. No, it's the people to operate it that you chose is why it didn't work. They mark everything a false positive when they're real. Mm-hmm. And now the attacks have gotten so, it, I mean, I wouldn't even say they're advanced. I'd say that they're, you know, just commonsensical because 80% of every application out there is open source. Yeah. 
So how do I become a contributor to one of those open source platforms? And then you just start doing back. And everyone's like, but, but it's a SaaS tool. We scan it all the time. SaaS tools don't test back doors. Because finding back doors is noisy and that's the old school. You have to go old school and you have to do full code reviews. And nobody has time or money for that. Yeah, not only that, but when you look at the attacks now, they're not that complex. Um, some no. of the incident response I've been on, they have been ridiculously easy to infiltrate some of these networks. Um, and then once they're in, the, the footsteps that people take, especially the ransomware groups, are pretty noisy and pretty evident. Um, I've only seen one really good ransomware attack that, that really debilitated somebody. Um, most of the time, like one of the last ones I saw, they were actually using off-the-shelf encryption products to deploy the ransomware. And so it was really easy to walk it back and go back to Nimble and roll it back. Um, so you see stuff like that. But as far as infrastructure goes, like critical infrastructure, I think that we're going to see more, more complex attacks on infrastructure. Um, you know, they're constantly probing, they're constantly looking around. Um, you know, just recently there was a breach um, in a government facility and they didn't, they didn't do anything malicious. They just sat there for a while until they were caught and then they backed out. Um, I think they're testing timing or whatever. So, you know, come from a military background and a government background. Um, what do you think about the way that the government's approaching uh, cybersecurity um, after the pipeline compromise? And, you know, you, you look at the FBI going, going after ransomware gangs and, and uh, grabbing Bitcoin wallets. You know, where do you think the government really needs to sit in the cyber the cybersecurity chain? Where does the government need to sit? That, that's always the interesting question because mm. do I think they need some involvement? I do. You know, because you know they, they do, but the problem with that is is they all because of the way they operate, you still have these small businesses that become the contractors, and then they become the third party risk without the, you know, the knowledge or of what they need to do. That's why, you, and I'm sure Scott brought this up, you see the rise of the CMMC coming up drastically. Yeah. Right, because in the AppSec, but the problem is, guess what CMMC leaves out? Because I started looking at this. When you're looking at it from a professional services angle, it looks great because CMMC prep is good yeah. cash. Mm. Um, it leaves out AppSec altogether. There's no AppSec in CMMC. So that's nice. And then the Biden um, executive order, which is, you know, it's it basically republished. You know, let's grab a bunch of stuff, throw it, slap it together, and make an executive order. But everything still depends on what, you know, from a supply chain perspective, what's in your code. Mm -hmm. And I always look at it like this people are just like code. Vulnerable, easy to exploit. Mm. Okay. Um, this is done all the time. And everyone's like, my favorite question is when a female goes, I want to get into hacking, but where do I start? I says, you've already mastered one piece and you don't know it. Like yeah. what? I'm like, social engineering. Mm. You've been doing it since birth. You're daddy's little girl. You're manipulating daddy for whatever you want. And this is, you know, even before you're a year old. And then this just goes on for the rest of your life. You just don't know you're doing it. You get in the sales, it's the same thing. 
I mean, that's kind of why I always goof around with the salespeople. I said, you have, you know, solutions architects to tell the customers when you're lying. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it, the tool can't do that. It can't do that. And that's always the biggest problem. People, if you're, oh man, I, I, I had an incident with Gartner. Mm-hmm. Right? I was working on a contract with a customer and they wanted Gartner's opinion. And they asked about database security. All right, so well, what do I do to scan my database for security and policies and stuff like that? Do I know what they came back with? What's that? CrowdStrike. Solves everything, right? I'm like, how's CrowdStrike going to do that for you? I'm like, it's a process. There's a bunch of tools that you really need to figure out. And that's kind of how I've looked at it. And I always said, well, how does their model work? Mm-hmm. That's why when Ed Amoroso came out that he was doing his stuff over uh, his stuff, I was like, wow, that could be interesting. But how much traction is it going to have? You know, how much do you have to pay in? You know, and then the analysts, how much when they're targeted in a specific area, how much expertise do they have? Right. You know, I, I've, I've even thought of becoming an analyst at one point for it. But I, I just hate paperwork. Yeah, paperwork's no fun. Uh, I mean, it's our worst nightmare. I mean, how, <laughs> what's the one part we hated about Pentest? We hate the damn reports. Yeah, it's there's one company that um, I talked to not too long ago, Vonahai. They're actually one of the sponsors of the podcast. They've got um, an automated pen test platform that helps write the report. Um, not like the Rapid7 stuff, not like HD stuff, but um, a little bit different, a little bit more granular, uh, which is... Uh, if any change needs to happen in pen testing, it's the report writing. I hate writing reports. Um, so yeah, like the the way that the industry's changed since you know, God, even ten years ago, has been drastic. And going back to where the government sits, right? So I was reading just this this week, um, the Secret Service got nailed for having uh, DJI, DJI drones. Um, and I, I was pretty shocked because the vulnerability on the DJI's came out a good while back, you know, the app actually funneling information back to China. And then it hit the public that the secret service has been using those drones for I don't know how long, you know, one of the more secretive police and law enforcement agencies is actually funneling information back to China knowingly, um, you know, just things like that slay me, you know, they're supposed to be in charge of, you know, looking after the critical infrastructure and, you know, making sure we have defenses for, for the country, but yet we're using DJI drones to uh, probably on sensitive operations and, and stuff like that. What are your thoughts on the tools and stuff that the government uses um, for security and, and for the different groups? So here, here's a, how I look at everything. Yeah, and this is what you know, pisses me off about the media and stuff like that. The, tool, the tools can be used for both good and bad. And it all depends on the person behind them. Right. The other thing they have is if there's a problem with China, well, guess what? It's not hard to take these things apart, reverse engineer them, and rewrite the firmware. Yeah. But that's the one thing that we don't know. I mean, they could use DJI drones because it shows that the acquisition from wherever. Mm-hmm. But you know, how do we know one of the big government contractors didn't go in and modify everything? Yeah. And that, that's another thing too, the supply chain as well. I mean. You know, you look at solar winds and all that crazy stuff and how the supply chain's affected. But what people don't understand is as a government and as a country, we do the same thing, though. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, cyber attacks and, and malicious code. And Lockheed Martin actually has a malware creation lab, like a legit lab. Um, so, you know, for people who are listening, you know, when you hear all the bad things about China and Russia and, and how they're, you know, carrying out attacks, we do exactly the same thing, uh, if not on a larger scale. Um, so the cyber war, I had someone ask me on LinkedIn the other day, I was talking about AI and I was showing a, a CGI video, the robots shooting a gun. Um, and they asked, you know, where do you think we're going to go? Do you, do you think this is actually going to be a cyber war? And I was like, we've been fighting a cyber war for years um, since ever since I was in the military. You know, I was one of the first um, military to go into CTN, which is a cyber attack, uh, cyber warfare rate. Um, but it's it's not been a secret. I mean, that's the that's the way the battlefield's evolving. Um, what have you seen as far as you know on a government level, more push towards a cyber theater? See, that's tricky part because I haven't been working at government. You know, I just have I'm like a lot of people have zero desire to have a clearance. Yeah, you know, so I've been focusing more on the commercial side. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's interesting because what a lot of people don't realize is if you build out software for the government, odds are it's going to be, their next customer is going to be a financial market Yeah, because they're pretty much built in there and how much, you know, influence that actually has. So if they see a government go in a specific direction on a specific piece of software, mm. they assume that's probably the best route to go. Yeah, I was, uh. I was talking on one of the shows not too long ago about my time with, with iSight Partners and the meeting that I had with Microsoft, NSA's lawyers, Secret Service, and a couple other agencies. And it blew my mind when Microsoft straight up came out and said that they create a different OS for the NSA. And they have a very strong partnership with the NSA. Um, you know, that, that kind of rattled me a little bit and I got to thinking about more technology that, that they probably have, you know, gotten their hands into. Um, and as citizens, we don't get that same, that same level of operating system that, you know, maybe the NSA or, or other agencies get. Um, and who, who's to know what exactly they put into those operating systems on a wide, wide scale. Um, I know that not too long ago, I was, I was over in London and I was reading uh, an article about Weeping Angel. And Weeping Angel was where the uh, CIA had come up with a way to infiltrate smart TVs physically with a USB stick and mm -hmm. turn it basically into a room tap and a video bug. Um, and that code got leaked to the citizens. I mean, it got leaked to the dark market. It got leaked to you know probably a lot of people who shouldn't have had it. Um, have, have you heard of any other type of exploits or anything like that recently is leaked to, you know, leaked to the dark market or shadow brokers or anything like that? Well, shadow brokers is a whole different story because that yeah. created a whole bunch of different world of backdoors. Cause what most people don't realize yeah. is when they have these leaks, all it takes is, you know, one or two changes in the code, mm. one or two lines and that's it. And then it cheats changes the signature altogether. Um, what I've seen, and this was going back to where you brought up um, SolarWinds. Mm. So SolarWinds, they talked about the whole supply chain getting hacked, the build servers getting hacked, and then trying to blame it on JetBrains, 
you know, for IntelliJ and stuff like that. What it really comes down to is, you know, your own security with stuff. Because since SolarWinds, I've been watching a lot of the breaches that happen. Mm. Um, and ironically, all of them have a presence in GitHub. So, you know, the conspiracy theorist is going to go, well, GitHub was compromised. I'm like, was it GitHub compromised? Because it's a platform where it allows you to use your control. So does that mean that that company has a poor security posture and poor security controls? Or is it, you know, Microsoft or GitHub? No, that's the whole thing you have to look at. You have to, and I've kind of learned this. It's like, you have to take everything a double prong approach and look at both sides of everything. There's, Cause there's three sides to every story. And you know, your side, my side, and the truth. And the truth is usually somewhere in between. That's why everybody always says inside of every conspiracy theory, there's, there's some other truth. Yeah, there's some level of truth there. Yep. Yeah. And we, we see that a lot too, especially in, in the circles that we used to hang out in. There's a lot of, you know, talk and a lot of claims and a lot of things. And, you know, there's always a level of truth to, to whatever was going on. Um, How do you think I feel in my company? The thing that freaks me out is when I get an email from one of the people named Alex Jones or somebody else with the last name of Snowden. I'm like, huh? No, it, 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 it's, uh, I, I always laugh at that. But, you know, and, and, you know, as much as stuff drives you nuts, you always have to look at the humor and everything. Otherwise, yeah. you go nuts in this and you end up with, you know, sleepless nights and all this stuff. Yeah. And, and then we were talking about supply chain. So what are the two biggest things right now? Crypto trading and NFTs. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then I'm looking at it. I'm like, okay, well, most of the stuff is written in solidarity. Mm -hmm. So if I'm a bad guy, guess what? There's no tools to detect for vulnerabilities in solidarity. No. So you have a whole new coding platform. And the way I look at it is I, I just call it developers gone wild because the business says, oh, this is what the developers need to build it in, you know, but there's no controls around, you know, what security pieces that we're going to have to build, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's where it becomes hectic, you know, and that's when you start losing, you know, night's sleep. Me, sometimes I'm a little arrogant. I know what my who my competitors' customers are. Mm -hmm. So when they get hacked, they laugh a little bit. Um, but you know that's just the nature of the beast. I'm still friends with all of my competitors because, yeah. dude, this world is so small; it's unreal. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to to hold a grudge against anybody, especially in our industry, because, like you said, it's so small. Um, you know, I've crossed paths with so many different people and recrossed paths with them down the road. Um, but yeah, like there's a lot of stuff out there that you could literally go, you know, chasing the rabbit into wonderland. Um, but I try not to, because you get on that track and you do start losing sleep and you start getting stressed out. You know, I think the, the big turning point in my career was dealing with, with the stuff at eyesight partners, um, and the chaos that, that came with that. And I, I think that was the first time I really experienced what it was like to, to lose privacy completely. Um, and to have, you know, people in shadows walking behind you, that's not a fun game to play. Um, so, you know, sales, I don't know if I could do sales. Like, you know, I've, I've thought about that a couple of times, but I just don't think, because I don't have, I don't have that ego, but you know, I have an ego. 
Well, I, you say everybody in the industry has an ego. I just, I don't know what that's like. I'm trying to figure that out. I want to experience that sometime. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Mr. Bat. Bat. Yep. Uh, we, we've yeah, had some good times. poor guy you tortured him. Yeah. Well, that was the whole point. I, I really couldn't handle all the questions. I, I just wanted to get to the test and get done with the class. Um, Dude, the test took you like 22 minutes. Yeah, but still, it was 22 minutes. I could have been doing something else. Like illegitimate break, breaking into stuff. So I'm going to open it up to questions for the people that are here. Uh, I see Gary Berman's here and Michelin Thompson and, and a bunch of other people. If you guys want to ask questions, um, put them in the chat and we'll address the questions now. So I have a question, Tom. Yep. When are you going to reveal that you're Jester? Never, because I'm not. Okay. It, although for fun, I should wear a jester hat whenever we go back to DEFCON. But no, I'm not the jester. I think that'd be really funny. Yeah, I, I was going to go to DEFCON this year, um, but end up getting sick and just that's too much of a hassle. So Gary wants to know what you think about the Senate testimony with CISA, et cetera. Truthfully, I've been so busy at work, Q4, I didn't get to hear it. Yeah, I didn't even, I didn't even watch it. Um, there's, so much, there's so much bullshit that goes on with the current government that you turn on the news and it's just, for one, it's embarrassing. And two, you know, it's just a bunch of fodder from both sides. And on a, a podcast with Max Justice, I think it was last weekend, mm-hmm. um, we were talking about how the government is no longer... A government is no longer polarized. Everybody works for each other, works with each other, and shares the same agenda. And they keep the people polarized as far as you know, right and left, because you know, dividing people is a lot easier to maintain and control and conquer than if mm-hmm. we all combine together. Um, but don't don't mistake you know the, the Republican Democrat as a dividing line because they they all share and share in the responsibility. Yeah, so that, that's always the interesting part. Yeah. Because I thought you were going to bug me about the Occupy Wall Street stuff. Because yeah, let, let's talk about Occupy Wall Street. All right, so that was the perfect example of media, media manipulation. Mm-hmm. Right, and you know, you know me, I like to test the waters with everything. You know, excuse my French, you'll probably bleep this out, but it's no. sticking your dick in the beehive. Yeah. Pretty much. Right. So I did the whole thing. I'm curious about it. Right. I was curious about it. I go in. I went to the protester meeting because I was always curious about it. I'm like, wow, it seems like a bunch of these guys are getting trained by a bunch of guys from the 60s. Mm-hmm. Are they going to pass out weed next or what? I don't know. Then the one thing, and I even showed you that one. Okay. Al Shabaab had it on their site to, to start injecting themselves with this. Yep. So I got kind of nervous. I said, all right, let me see what's going down. See who looks suspicious. What? All right. Start going there. I'm like, man, I could have so much fun understanding this because all of a sudden I've never seen so many Twitter accounts come up. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how can I make a lot of Twitter accounts to do different things? And I'm like, and then I start looking at like marketing tools. Mm-hmm. And then I started realizing, wow, marketing tools are great intelligence tools. So I must have spun up 
thousands of fake accounts. Okay, and only four of them were directly tied to me. The, us, the rest of them were automated because they had cool things like Yahoo pipes and tied into Hootsuite and everything else. Mm -hmm. so you could do feeds. And, and so I started playing around. And one thing, I, you know, I think there was only one smart person who actually caught on to what I was doing. And that was this woman, Ashley Wolf from Australia. She's like, why is Tom Ryan automating everything? and cross hashtag and everything with porn. Well, I cross hashtag everything with porn for two reasons. It's a test of what you can and can't do. So if you wanna control a message, you, you, know, you get information blocked, mm -hmm. right? So I would block the information because it's cross hashtag with porn, blue coat at schools and at work would not let you look at what's going on. Yep. So now you're controlling what people can see and not see. Right. Then other things I'm like, wow, this is cool. What else can I do now? Um, so I started doing a sleep deprivation game. So people that annoyed me, I would have them tweet to them all through the night with like 40, 50, 60 different accounts because they were so into this that they were just, you know, so into it, they just left their phones on alert. I'm like, this is crazy. And, but it's also the bad things that social media can do to your brain and your thinking capacity. Mm -hmm. All right. And I went to sit there experimenting. And then everyone's like, um, I was on the mailing list. And I says, well, what can cause that? I took a psychology game and said, what can cause them to react without thinking? All right. So we knew it was done by the left. I said, and I kind of like in the middle, more libertarian than anything else. Mm -hmm. I says, I'm going to dump this to Breitbart right? and see their reaction. Well, what do you think their stupid reaction was? Attack. Mm -hmm. Because they, their first reaction was to attack, they attack without proxies enabled. I'm like, you guys are idiots, man. This is IRC 101 stuff. Yep. And that, that was so that was so easy back then too because not a lot of people use proxies and especially in in like emotional states they never use proxies right but but that's kind of what we did and i was like all right this is easy this is fun mm -hmm. um but then what happened was then you got to see how devious some people were mm -hmm. okay these people were emailing spreadsheets with all the usernames and passwords well, what do you think happened? <laughs> like all the hackers that got this information, they went and had fun and hacked their accounts. Yep. Uh, they removed their videos and put in the troll wall guy. All right, if you remember that, yep. that was a crazy Russian video from like the 60s. And, you know, it was all kinds of fun like that. And it's just good to, it's funny to see what people do. Yeah. All right. Yep. And then you take it to the next level. So, the other thing a lot of people didn't do is, you know, the thing I did by sticking my dick in my beehive is putting it out under my own name yeah. to see what they were going to do. And it was done on purpose for a couple of reasons. Because I remember when I was talking to Andrew Breitbart on the phone, he's like, are you sure you want to do that? You don't want to? I'm like, no, there's a reason. And so before I did that, in the beginning of the protest, I created my number one nemesis. My number one nemesis was me. 
so their scenario of attacking you is always to go to your nemesis. Mm -hmm. Right. So they start going to my nemesis and giving information. And it was easy pickings. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Human, human behavior is really predictive when it comes to situations like that. And it's very easy to manipulate masses um, just playing into something they're passionate about. Because some of those people are very radical and will go to extremes. Um, you know, I've seen that multiple times. And the flame wars that go on are, are, are just ridiculous. Scott had a question about Microsoft's push towards no passwords. I, I think, and put your tinfoil hat on for a second. If you think about Microsoft urging no more passwords, what's the next level of security? You know, you're going to look for biometric. You're going to look for, you know, behavioral analysis. And what does that give Microsoft? That gives Microsoft more data about the users, more data about their behaviors and, and easy to carry out behavioral analysis on. I don't like giving up more than I have to um, because of the fact that I know that there are agencies that still watch everything I do and I know Tom for sure. Um, so, you know, I've become a big privacy advocate over the years and Microsoft wanting to go to another level of security. I think there's a, a government push behind that. Um, government seems to be getting into a lot of big tech. You know, you look at Google, you look at Facebook, Twitter, um, they have such a huge influence on those platforms. And anytime somebody from one of those platforms decides that they want to do something different, I always have to stop and, and evaluate it and go, you know, I wonder if the government had any hand in this push or this instigation. What are your thoughts on that, Tom? Well, you know, that's always interesting because the, you know, no password thing has been a thing for a while and it's more for a convenience, you know, like I goofed around about it. I'm like, and here's a scenario most people didn't think about, right? So security cameras have drastically increased, mm -hmm. okay? All these forced mask mandates force you to type in your PIN. They're mm -hmm. all caught on the security camera when you're typing your PIN in any store. Mm -hmm. All right, so there's problem number one. You know, and some people got smart. They ended up getting face masks that look like their face. Mm -hmm. Because, hey, yeah, I got my Apple. Let me use my face as my authentication. Well, let me take a 600 DPI image of you and it'll work the same. Yeah. Or, you know, I think Casper even brought it up on the last one about the thumbprints. Yeah. You know, how long has that been? How long have we been able to do that? Yeah. I think I think we're able to do that back when we were doing ECSA. Yep. But but that's the reality of it. And people are like, well, we want to go. It's more for convenience than anything else. Yeah. You know, I mean, you have your Bluetooth on all the time, so have fun with that. Yeah. Exactly. Like, but it's secure. I'm like, is it? I got into a, a flame war uh, back during the beginning of COVID when the UK decided, uh, the NHS decided to come out with a um, exposure app and it ran strictly off of Bluetooth, Bluetooth to Bluetooth and, you know, looked at your location, looked at, you know, your data and reported back to NHS. And, and I made a comment, I think it was on LinkedIn. And I was like, whoever thought of this is, is losing their mind because Bluetooth over the past 20, 20 something years, the protocol has not changed that much. Mm -hmm. And very, very many, very, very many people use Bluetooth for, for, various reasons right so my pacemaker runs on a, a sort of a bluetooth connection um 
but that's only from. Oh, I know how your pacemaker works. Yeah, only from, <laughs> only from my my heart to the phone, and um, I immediately went to uh, the people med, at Medtronic and and told them that that need to be shut off, and they they were shocked. They were like, "Wait a minute, you know, what's wrong with what's wrong with the way that works?" And I was like, "Um, I don't know. Maybe somebody could sniff the Bluetooth and see exactly what's going back and forth." Um, and then they tried to say, oh, well, it's just, it's proprietary and they wouldn't be able to read the telemetry anyways. And I was like, nah, that's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll still have that turned off, please. Um, see, that's another thing that, that we touched on, um, not too long ago was biohacking and, and medical devices and, uh, thinking about Neuralink with, uh, Elon Musk and, and his new project. What do you think about that? Man, Elon Musk is just. I wish I was friends with this guy. Yeah, yeah. for real. Because he, he's, uh, he pisses off his competition. Oh, yeah. Because I kind of laugh because, you know, Bezos, I mean, I, I give him a lot of credit. But mm. as soon as he retired from Amazon, what's he do? He starts doing Elon Musk for SpaceX and then starts doing Microsoft because he lost the Jedi project. Right. Um, but from what I've heard from, you know, people, because the only reason why he lost it is because he didn't like the support. Mm-hmm. You know, because they can do the same, but they just didn't like the support. Microsoft had better support. Yeah. So Elon Musk is just in his own new world. You see, he broke up with his girlfriend now again. Again, yeah. I'm like, dude, that's so that I'm waiting for dirt to come out because that's usually what happens. Somebody breaks up with somebody, there's some dirt to follow behind. Um, but yeah. Like Johnny Depp. I mean, Starlink is the one that I kind of like in a weird way that he's right. feeling. I, I do too. Everywhere. Yeah, yeah, Starlink. Starlink's that's... awesome. But the problem is, is like we applied for it in Alabama and got put on a waiting list. And they're like, well, we'll get there around December timeframe. And this was back in like June, July. And I thought, wait a minute, what are you waiting for? You know, it either works or it doesn't work. You know, and how do you how do you decide that you're only going to roll out to a certain area? It has to be based on numbers and requests, because we're talking about satellite coverage here. You know, it's not like when he lights it up, you know, it's not going to hit everywhere that needs to hit. So he's doing it based on population, uh, the need for that type of service which where i was at in alabama is so remote that i couldn't even carry this podcast without it dropping and i'm really surprised that my roommate is able to stay on this long um so we tried to get like i said the starlink and it's a great idea but even with with luke with pyro he has Mm -hmm. starlink and we'll be on a call and it's horrible like the the he drops pretty often and he, he, he lags a lot um but I, I don't know. I, th- I think it's going to be a time. There's going to be a testing period for it. But the fact that he is planning on getting internet to pretty much everywhere, I think is a noble, noble cause. Maybe that'll make up for all the uh, Hollywood behavior. So when I get a yacht and I'm in an international waters and don't have to pay taxes, I'm good. Yeah, pretty much. So I got to make some good money. I got to make some Elon Musk money. Get on one of his drone boats. Yeah, his drone boat's pretty awesome, by the way. Um, yeah. So do we have any more questions? Oh, my roommate said he did drop once. <laughs> so yeah, we, we live basically on top of a mountain on like 27 acres and our nearest neighbor, like we couldn't see the house. Um, 
and we had a radio tower directly across the lake from us. I mean, within line of sight. And every provider that we had talked to and every provider that we had, oh, well, it's just, it's bad connection. And our last one was with Nomad Internet and it was an LTE connection. Shit was horrible. I, I don't even know. Like, I felt like we were back on 14.4. Like, it was that bad. So... I would expect you to have like this off the grid house built with shipping containers and solar power and you know who knows what to do. It may be coming. It may be coming. We always joke about how many phone numbers I have in a month. Actually, I have two on my phone right now. I'll probably get price switched out for another one pretty soon. You and your phone numbers are always annoying. And, and then you constantly changing and then you making your name on LinkedIn so you can't even search for it. You know, between you and Casper, I mean, Casper, you can't look for him on Clubhouse. Yeah. Clubhouse has become a whole new interesting dilemma. You know, you sent me that, you sent me that link for the invite for Clubhouse. And I got on a couple of times and I was like, I feel like I'm talking on a CB radio. Like it was some weird shit, no video. And then they have this thing like where one person wants to talk and they flash their mic and it was just, it's a whole different environment. Um, but I'm starting to like it. I got on to play Backdoors and Breaches um, one yeah. night. And uh, then I got on to uh, your talk, which is really cool. Um, it seems like a lot of fun, but I just, I, it's so hard to, I guess, connect when all I hear is audio. It, it, I like to see like who I'm talking to. Um, and there's some, you get some really strange questions on, on Clubhouse too you know some really really strange questions like there was one um someone had uh died or something and, and wanted me to to help them out i was just like okay mm -hmm. just really off the wall shit um the problem is because they're hacker rooms that there's people there trying to get you to do bad things yeah of course right and, that, and that's always how it is they hear the word hacker mm -hmm. and they just think you're this big bad guy yeah the only yeah, hacker I ever strived to be like was in, you know, Swordfish. Oh, yeah. Hacking into the NSA. Yeah. I was actually playing uh, playing songs from Swordfish uh, before the podcast started. That's one of my favorite movies. Um, the whole John Travolta character was pretty cool. What but, I liked about him in that movie, and I use the phrase all the time because he took it from Houdini. Mm -hmm. What the eyes see, the ears hear, the mind believes. Yep. And that is directly out of everything to do with sales, marketing, mm. deception, manipulation, everything. Yeah, and, and then going back to the Occupy stuff, you know, mm. and why we don't trust the media. It's because with Occupy, it started this whole new citizen journalism. Thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's great for bloggers. It's great because you know it's an opinion. But now it, it seems like opinions have become news yeah. without the facts. And that's what bothers me the most. Yeah, well, the news is so polarized itself now. Like, I remember when I was in the military, you know, we were only allowed to watch Fox News um, for political reasons, obviously. But, you know, you look at it now and you turn on Fox News and, you know, they're bashing everybody, everybody on the, you know, Democratic side, just tearing them apart. Same thing with, with CNN. You know, it's just, it gets so frustrating because it, it, to me, it seems like state-run media you know, they do their part to divide people. They do, they work so hard to keep people divided and to make people protest and to make people do dumb shit. 
But you know what? The, the citizens in the U.S., 90% of them, they'll do whatever they're told. You know, as long as they get to, I said this on the last one, I'll say it again. As long as they get to stop at Starbucks in the morning, go to yoga class and then go to Target at night, they're good. They don't give a shit. Um, they'll go fight for whatever, you know, as long as they get that, that Starbucks. Um, and that goes back to, you know, January 6th and, and how they raided the Capitol and all of the, you know, the cross correlation that, that I did with, with people who were there, you know, and it's amazing to see who the government plants in those, in those rallies and those protests and, and different political parties and how they operate. And that day, I mean, I had to stop and think, I was like, wait a minute, this makes no sense to me because I see people there that are from the democratic party, very active and storming the, the Capitol building. And then you see people that are government policemen, you know, it was really confusing, but then it all makes sense. You know, they all work together. You know, it's, it's all about division. Um, but yeah, it's, I think the, the way that the media manipulates people is, is really bad. Um, and even, you know, with COVID, my God, there's so many different stories and so many, so many different, you know, brainwashing techniques they're using to, to make light of certain things within the disease or, or how we approach it. But there was one thing that, that came out of it that I really, really liked. It was a, a medical um, document, an article about how they used AI to come up with a drug that is helping people fight cancer. It was one of the first ones that they've come up with, with AI that's actually working well. Um, and if they can do that, I mean, and this has been my question since the beginning of COVID, I, I hope that we're using AI to predict different strains and mutations, but it doesn't seem like it. Well, did you watch what happened? <laughs> so, and this is where I give Alex Karp a lot of credit with mm -hmm. Palantir. So when COVID started, what he started doing, because he wanted to build out these data sets, he literally gave it away to all the hospitals so that you can get some kind of patterns and stuff. So he's been, he kind of built out a lot of cool stuff in Palantir for that. Mm. And the reason why it's interesting with Palantir is they always bad mouth Palantir. So all yeah. this is so bad. Like it's a tool, mm. okay? Like a firearm, like, like a vulnerability scanner. Mm -hmm. It's a tool. It's not the tool that's bad. It's the person that uses it and the way they use it is just bad. Yeah. You know, it could be, I mean, anything could be like that. You know, a knife is used by a killer and it's also used by a chef. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and a crock pot is used by a lot of people in homes. And then it's also used by bombers in Boston. Yeah. Right. right. And, and that's always the key thing everybody has to understand. You have to look at the context. Yeah. If you're not looking at the context, you're missing out on the whole picture. Yeah. And, and it's funny too, because people here in the US, you get like very, very liberal, very democratic that want to take guns off the street, take guns out of responsible, responsible hands. But in the UK, they have no guns. But I tell you what, they don't suffer from lack of knife and, and stabbings and killings. And bombings um, in France. Yeah. Yeah, P people will find a way, you know, the bad people will always be bad people, regardless of, of what you take away from them, they'll find another way. Um, and it, it was it was a lot different over there. Uh, you know, I, I enjoyed my time in the UK. I'm, I'm glad to be back in the US somewhat um, to be able to like build myself back up. But yeah, the US has made it very difficult for me. Um, I kind of wish we can go and do that tour because, I, I, you know, after the first two places we went, 
Mm-hmm. I just wanted to finish out the tour, but work wasn't going to let that happen. Dude, it was so that much was fun. Awesome. Yeah, it was. It was so much fun. We did both of them were universities, so the you know the people that were there. Funny thing was the people that were there. There was university students there, but there were a lot of other people there too. A lot of older people. Um, I just found it really interesting, and all through the tour, like same response everywhere. Everywhere I went, um, people were really appreciative. But the one thing that, that really scared me was um, the lack of knowledge for their CMA, which is basically the same as our CFA. Um, but that, that slayed me when, when there was an instructor, a lecturer that, you know, said in the middle of the talk, he stopped and said, what, what's the CMA? And I was like, wait a minute, you're not teaching the CMA? Because that, that shows you what's illegal and what's legal as mm-hmm. far as computer abuse and fraud go. Um, but a lot of people don't know about that. And I think here in the US, we do a pretty bad job of mm-hmm. describing and outlining, clarifying the CMA that, that we have. Um, and it seems like it changes every so often. And I remember back at DEF CON, uh, me, me and Tom Brennan um, did that Hackers Are People too uh, documentary. And we were being, being interviewed about laws and, and what's legal and what's illegal. Um, and even back then, you know, in retrospect, we have the same problem today that we have that we had back then. Um, they use it against us, but nobody's willing to define it and, and really make it public. Right. That's the open crapshoot law. Yeah. And, and that's how I have always looked at it. And I've always asked. Um, so I'm on the advisory board for St. John's University. And, you know, it's good that some of the people that I know are there mm-hmm. and we're you know, trying to redefine the way the cyber programs are done there. Um, and there always has to be a legal component. Me personally, I mean, you look at the records. I mean, what's the youngest hack on record? I think it was a nine-year-old hacking yeah. Blackboard, changing his and his friend's grades. Mm-hmm. So the fact that we tell you you need to get an undergrad or a master's degree to learn this stuff, it's like, no, no there needs to be, there needs to be like, Remember when they had trade schools for high school? Mm-hmm. That's what there truly needs to be. And yeah. then you take it to the next level at the university where you teach them to run programs. Okay, You've learned, you learn to knit and grit. You, you do programs. I mean, I don't know about you. When I was in the sixth grade, they were teaching basic. Mm-hmm. 10 print, ha, 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 20 go to 10. Yes, yep. I just showed my age. Um, but But... And what was the interesting one? Who was it? Where was it? Which state was Bill Clinton governor? Arkansas. Arkansas. Yeah. yeah. So they passed a couple, a bunch of years back, they passed an interesting law to start teaching kids to code in the sixth grade. I don't know why that hasn't been adopted across the platform in the country. Yeah. Because everything you do is code, whether it be an Excel spreadsheet or whatever. Mm. You know, and it should just be widely adapted and then they can understand and learn things at a younger age. Then when we talk about security awareness, mm-hmm. it can be implemented at that younger age. Like, you know, stupid things that high school girls sending naked pictures. It's like, don't be stupid sending this stuff through whatever, whatever stupid app, Yeah. you know? Well, they, they were using uh, Snapchat at one point was it Snapchat? Yeah, Snapchat. Yeah. Because they, they figured that, you know, after so long, the, the file deletes itself. But what they don't understand mm-hmm. is there's that, the file still exists there. 
it doesn't just disappear. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but it goes to show like most teenagers what their what their idea of technology is and how it works. Like it miraculously just disappears. Um, but I think that they're trying to make it more easier as far as technology goes. Like the whole no, no password thing. Um, I, I do think law enforcement has a lot to play in that. You know, when you look at the iPhones that the terrorists use out in California, and they couldn't get into the iPhones, um, and that you know they have difficult time, and someone from the industry had to go in and help them break into those phones. I think that you know, government as a whole wants more access to that technology, and things are changing quite quite drastically for that. Um, but I can when I came back from the from the UK, um, I realized that in the schools here. They have this thing called STEM, and in school we never had that—the the science, technology, whatever, whatever it was. Um, and I think that's a move in the right direction. But again, you know, a lot of schools don't teach according to the individual; they teach according to the masses and at a base level. And that base level in some states is so low that when those kids go to college, they end up dropping out because you know they come from a place that. You know, the, the state board of education only requires, you know, this, this, and this, and certain things to pass. And then you go to other places like where I grew up in Houston, where, you know, it's all science and math because NASA is, you know, right in our backyard. Um, so we had more of a chance to, you know, probably get into better schools. I didn't, um, but there's, there's more opportunity there. But I think that should be more generalize and across the board i don't think it should be based on where you live or or you know how much you can afford i think that there needs to be programs for everybody to you know elevate the the base level of knowledge um because i i I don't like the idea of keeping people dumb you know what else i like when we're in the uk what's that i'm not going to mention her name because i don't know where she's what she's doing anymore Uh um our female friend with the cyber protect program Yes. Yeah. You know, She's still with it. Yeah. You know, to me, I'm like, wow, this is freaking awesome. Yeah. I could think of so many people in the industry that this would have been helpful to. Why yeah. don't we have something like this in the US? Yeah. And they tried to. Um, New York Police Department came over to London and looked at the way that we were doing cyber prevent program and, you know, giving people a second chance. And uh, they were interested in it, but I don't think they ever implemented it in the US. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those programs that is, it's, there's, it's going to cost them money to develop. And, you know, I, I hate to say it, but I think that the U S is in such a mindset that you break the law, regardless of age, regardless of knowledge, you're going to jail. Um, and that's just the way, that's just the way it is. Stupid. So much good talent got, you know, busted at a young age. Oh yeah. You know? I'm actually, I'm actually doing that prevent program um, again next month for, for stuff. Um, which would be really cool. This one is going to be virtual. They had a lot of uh, problems trying to figure out how they were going to secure and, you know, protect identities and, and stuff like that. Um, but they finally got nailed down and I'm supposed to speak um, at the cyber prevent intervention at like five o'clock in the morning next month. Um, they really, they really reach out to people to help. And I think that's really cool. And there's another um, group out of Wales that contacted me not too long ago, a probation officer. Mm-hmm. And they wanted me to help with somebody that they, they had just gotten out of prison. Uh, it was a high profile attacker. And uh, so I'm probably going to be working with him um, and his uh, probation officer. But you don't see that here. And it, it slays yeah. me why. You know, why, why would you want to put him in prison, harden him, 
and make them even more pissed off so that when they do get out, all hell breaks loose. You know, there's no reform in that. So Mike, all this great content that you're getting put in the chat, are you going to share that with all your audience afterwards? I am. I have to go back through it though. I have to rewind a little bit and clicking on the link. So my setup, I would just save it because this is a lot of good content, no matter where you push it. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe you should start your own haunted hacker on, you know, group on LinkedIn since that's where all the business people go to. The yeah, funny, we, we, the, the funny part is, guess what? Do you know how hard it is to get cyber guys onto freaking Clubhouse? Really? Oh yeah, and, and I understand why. Trust me. And the normal people on Clubhouse don't. So when you look at your bank accounts, guess what? It's all voice two-factor authentication. Right. You can record anybody's voice on any of these audio platforms. Yep. And you know you you can get enough of a data set. What it's like, what are you gonna do? Let the fear of every type of hack just prevent, you know, from having building relationships that help you all the way around. Yeah. Like I'm on this one group every morning. Yep. You know, it's like a leadership call. We have every morning and everyone's like, well, why do you go to that? Even Tom Brining comes in and then he comes, he starts looking at the people, not that are speaking, but the people in the audience. Right. And he's like, now I understand. Okay, so it's a bunch of really smart people to get together, mm-hmm. you know, and, and talk about leadership and the right and the wrong way to do things. Yeah, and there's a lot of people doing it the wrong way. Um, you know, what I find interesting is, is how Clubhouse evolved. I actually saw Clubhouse um, months and months ago, and the person that had the phone and they were on uh, Clubhouse, and I was like, what the fuck are you doing? I mean, why? Why don't you just pick up the phone and call somebody? And they were like, oh, you know, this is, this is a new thing. And it just came out and, and it's for professionals. And, but I didn't think anything of it. I was like, I'm already on so many platforms and, and doing so much stuff. I just don't know if I have time for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just being on it the last couple of weeks has been kind of interesting. And, you know, we try to, with, with the show and, and the community, we try to get on as many platforms as possible. But, you know, maybe I'll start a room on Clubhouse or whatever. Go for it. You yeah. can come in my mind Wednesday night. Cool. Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern, guess what it's on? What is it? Hacking AI. Oh, nice. Nice. Absolutely. I'll definitely show up for that one. Yeah. Um, I have some interesting insight on hacking AI when it comes to dark trace and with dirty networks. It's uh it's pretty interesting how how it how it operates within those environments. No, I, I I've had some experience. Yeah. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. There, there's lots of interesting ones. Speaking of that stuff. Did you see what happened with these guys that went to dark matter? No, huh? Oh, so apparently a bunch of former NSA guys and a bunch of techs go to dark matter and apparently it's some UAE spy group in there. Really? Oh, yeah. You really got to look into that one. Yeah, for sure. And it was interesting because they approached me at, uh, they approached me at DEF CON, oh, shoot, probably about 2016, 17. Mm-hmm. Like, no way in hell am I moving to the UAE. No, no. Well, what's funny is I'm actually on a board of a company that's in uh, the the Emirates, United Arab Emirates. Um, and I am the global, how do you put it, global intelligence director for this company. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but they do some really cool stuff. His name is Naveen and he does a lot of cool stuff when it comes to, you know, pen testing and, and he works with Kaspersky on video documentaries and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, good guy. Um, but yeah, it seems like a, there's a lot of work over in that area and talking right. about being approached by, you know, intelligence groups. I was approached by the Pakistani ISI not too long ago and the whole, I guess, contact and, and conversation went to uh, the Manhattan district district attorney's office. Um, and then I found out that it was ISI. I, I wasn't surprised though. He was trying to get me to hack into a Bitcoin wallet and into a bank. And I was like, mm, bro, I, I've seen this game before. <laughs> oh, you're going to let count. Wait until you see what comes out in October, the new board I'm allowed to put them on. Uh-huh. Definitely like that. Oh, cool. Cool. Well, Tom, it's been a good conversation. I'm going to wrap it up. We're at our hour and 25 minutes. Um, yep. It's been so awesome. This, yeah. Where can people find you if they want to connect and, and uh, maybe view some of your content? Just um, see, that's the interesting part. I'm actually starting to find time to put out some content. So just follow me on LinkedIn, come into Clubhouse. Every Wednesday night, there's a, there's a group called Security Mindset. I will be on there every Wednesday night. And I'm going to have some shocking guests coming on soon. I'm not allowed to say who, but I mean, we're talking big wigs in the industry. It's going to get interesting because I'm not just looking for the operators. I'm also looking for who are the people that help build out and fund the software, Mm -hmm. you know, that we all get to love and enjoy. Follow the money. This industry, I mean, Everyone's like, well, I want to get into it. I'm like, well, you, are you ready for a life of endless, continuous education? Because yes. this stuff changes so fast. Like everyone's like, well, what's the next thing that you, I should learn? I'm like, well, start looking at infrastructure as code. Start looking at how do I hack a Kubernetes cluster? How do I do this? Mm-hmm. You know, what's the easiest way to get into a building? I mean, you start seeing some of these attacks now, and it's like, I mean, you even remember this. I saw a recent about a year ago how long have you and i been hacking in the voip systems and camera systems he's a student uh, since since the beginning of voip <laughs> right i mean you remember when, you know me and jason did the casino with the the vlan hop in the casino voip hopper yeah yes yes <laughs> cool well uh tell the family i said hello give my best to your wife and and your newborn and yep. uh, I will see you soon and definitely have to have you back on the show. Maybe you can help yeah. out with co-hosting or something. Be cool. I'll have her on because she's become at 10 months old. She's the biggest social engineer. Awesome. We'd love she's to see her. The hat and then swipe the phone. I, I haven't even FaceTime people. I haven't even seen her yet. So I know nothing. you won't. That's called, you know, letting the girl have a life. OPSEC. Yep. All right, guys, I'll see you uh, next weekend. Thanks again, Tom, for, for coming on to the show. And uh, I miss you, man. I'll see you soon. Miss you too, bro. See you All soon. right. Take Bye. care, everybody.